fable, it may be a story passed down from generation to generation. Good stories, especially the true ones, have a way of shaping us and forming us and connecting us. As humans, we are storytelling creatures. Now, one of the things I love about reading the Gospels is they contain real stories of real people encountering Jesus. And we've had the privilege during these past few weeks of hearing four stories from the Gospel of John, four people encountering Jesus in the flesh as he lived on this earth 2,000 years ago. Now, John is our storyteller, and he gives us a, a frequent invitation in his book, come and see, come and see, come and see. These are not random stories. John had a purpose in writing them. And God has a purpose in you and I hearing them. John says these stories are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now today our story focuses on Mary Magdalene on that amazing Sunday morning at the empty tomb where she meets the risen Jesus. It's a good story. It's told well, and it has the power to change our lives. It begins with Mary's gut-wrenching tears of grief, and it ends with Mary's soul-stirring words of witness. Because during this story, she discovers a wonderful reality that Jesus is alive and that changes everything. Now you may notice that we haven't actually had a Bible reading yet this morning and that's because we are going to experiment a little with a bit of storytelling ourselves. In a moment, Victoria is going to come up. She's not going to do the reading. She's going to tell the story. Now, you may prefer just to listen, because once she's finished, we're going to turn to our neighbours in twos and threes. We're going to have a go retelling the story from memory. For a little bit of context, who is Mary Magdalene that we're going to be hearing from? She's a woman from Magdala, a town on the western shores of Lake Galilee. She'd had a significant encounter with Jesus. Luke tells us that Jesus delivered her of seven demons. Now that's strange for our Western ears to hear. But I think we can imagine her previous life trapped in some terrible and destructive ways. Yet she met Jesus and he set her free and she became one of his followers. She was one of a small group of women who financially supported Jesus and the disciples as they traveled around the land, serving people and sharing the message of the kingdom. She's mentioned in all four Gospels at all the critical times. She was there um, traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem just a week before our story to join in with the national celebration of the Passover festival. All was well and joyful, but then on Thursday night things changed. 
There was the arrest in the garden, the horrible beatings of Jesus, the trial before the high priest and the governor and the crowd, religious, political and social rejection. And then Friday, she was there at the foot of the cross as they executed him. She was present at his death. She witnessed the body being taken down and being laid in the tomb. Saturday was Sabbath rest, raw grief. And then at sunset when the Sabbath was over, she went out with some women and bought the spices. And so here we find her, early Sunday morning, arriving at the tomb, spices in hand. Now, Victoria is going to come up now and tell us the story. As you listen, try to get inside the story. The cold darkness of the night is starting to break. A new day is dawning, but Mary's heart is heavy. Her body is fatigued with sadness. The smells of burial spices are in her nostrils. Her eyes are wet with tears. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel as you step into this story? Mary was standing outside Jesus' tomb crying as his body wasn't there. She looked into the tomb and she saw two angels shining in white sitting where Jesus' body had been. They asked her why she was crying. She said, they've taken Jesus away and I don't know where they've put him. She then turned around and saw a man who she thought was the gardener. He asked her, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? She replied, please tell me where you have put him so I can go and get him and bring him back. The man replied, Mary. She turned and when she realized it was Jesus, cried Rabbani, meaning teacher. Jesus told her, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended into heaven with my father. Go tell my disciples all this that I have told you. With this, Mary ran and told the disciples that she had seen Jesus and told them all that he had said to her. Okay, give it a go. Turn to your neighbour. See how well you go telling this story from memory. How did you go? It's only a short story, so you've probably had time to kind of tell it a couple of times, potentially. Um, It's a fantastic story to become familiar with and have in your arsenal to tell when you need to share the good news of Jesus. We're going to focus on three things as we look at this story in a bit more detail. We want to see what we can learn from Mary's tears. We want to see what we can learn from her confusion and we want to see what we can learn from her witness. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Lord God, Paul writes in one of his letters that he wants to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. We want to thank you for this wonderful story. Thank you that it contains such beautiful truths. Please reveal these truths to us, that we might experience the amazing power that it speaks of. 
Amen. What can we learn from Mary's tears? The story starts, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she looked into the tomb. Now someone has said, if ever tears were inappropriate, it's at the empty tomb on Easter Sunday morning. And that's true. We have the luxury of reading this, knowing something of how the story ends. But let's sit with Mary for a little while. Let's grieve silently with her. And let's ponder the question that she's asked by the angel. Why are you crying? Consider the losses she's just experienced. The death of a friend and mentor. The shame of a trial, a crucifixion and identifying with an executed criminal. The loss of hope, shattered dreams. The personal sadness of not being able to complete the proper burial rites. They have taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. What love and devotion are expressed by this humble follower of Jesus. Not looking for a corpse, but looking for the broken body of her Lord, the one who had rescued her from her own tragic past. Oh, how we can empathize with this dear sister of ours and her tears. Jesus draws near to her, but she fails to recognize him. I wonder why that is. Maybe she was consumed by her grief, only looking down, perhaps only seeing his feet. Perhaps it was one of those things, being in the wrong context. When you see someone that you know, but not in the context that you're familiar with, and so you don't recognize them. Maybe it was something to do with the otherness of his resurrection body. The same, but different like the other resurrection appearances of the disciples on the Emmaus Road or Peter on the, on the beach, failing to recognize until it was revealed to them. Again, we can empathize with Mary. Would we have done anything different to what she did? Why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Are you seeking a corpse? Or are you seeking a person? Jesus does not berate her for her unbelief. He could have. During his life, he gave many predictions that he would die and then rise again. Mark includes three of them in his gospel. The most recent was just a week before, during the journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. Jesus said, we are going to Jerusalem the Son of Man will be handed over. He'll be condemned to death. They will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. Jesus could have said, I told you I'd rise. Why did you not trust that I would do what I promised I would do? No, Jesus does not berate her for her unbelief. Rather, his gentle questions 
draws out the rumblings of her soul. Do you notice the kindness of Jesus to this grieving woman, to Mary and also to us? He does not force his way into our lives, overpowering us in a demeaning way or a dishonoring way. He graciously comes alongside us, asks us questions, invites us to seek. And then after listening to us at just the right time, he calls us by name. Jesus said to her, Mary. Now some have said that there is no single word in all of Scripture that contains such life-giving power. With that one word from Jesus, Mary's whole world changes forever. Life floods into her soul, washing away any thoughts of death. Joy replaces grief, light replaces darkness, hope replaces despair. Jesus had said just a few days ago, in a little while, you will see me no more. Then, after a little while, you will see me. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that life-giving moment, Mary opened her eyes and saw the risen Jesus. And as she hears her name spoken by him, she responds, Rabboni, my teacher. A word revealing a beautiful relationship of respect and intimacy. Isn't this what you and I long for? Deep relationships of trust and respect to know someone and be known by them. And Jesus, our creator, offers this to us. I wonder what, how this moment compared to the time that Mary was freed from her seven demons. Even that wonderful moment of deliverance from evil paled in significance compared to this personal encounter with the risen Jesus. Mary, Rabboni. She came to honor a dead Jesus, but she is found by a risen Savior. And through her tears, she discovered Jesus is alive, and that changes everything. So let's move on. What can we learn from Mary's confusion? We empathize with her crying, and now we can empathize with her confusion. Jesus really, really is alive, Mary thinks. But what does this mean? Will everything just go back to how it was a week ago? Us following Jesus as he taught and served and healed and showed us the wonderful realities of the kingdom of God. Mary's mind is exploding. She can scarcely take it in. And again, we see the kindness and gentleness of Jesus as he comes alongside Mary, 
to care for her in her confusion. I want us to notice three things from verse 17. Do not hold on to me. The first thing to observe is that Jesus was so physically present that Mary was reaching out to give him the culturally appropriate equivalent of a big bear hug. This is no ghost or spirit form. This is the risen Jesus in flesh and blood. All the resurrection appearances speak clearly of the physical and bodily presence of the risen Jesus. Later that evening on the Sunday night, Jesus shows his scars to his disciples. A week later, Thomas is invited to put his hand into the scars. And a few weeks later, Peter and the others are on a beach having breakfast and eating fish together with him. This is not a ghost. This is the crucified body of Jesus Christ, raised to life, healed, restored, and fully alive. Now that Mary has seen this reality, Jesus helps her understand what is happening. You see, the death of Jesus has begun. A chain reaction of life-giving, world-transforming events. This is the wonderful salvation of the true and living God, promised in centuries past that is now getting revealed for us to see. His death began the process. The curse of sin and death broken forever by the perfect sacrifice of the sinless Saviour. And so his resurrection had to follow. Later, Paul says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Mary has front row seats to this wonderful intervention of God in human history. But it doesn't stop, even with the resurrection. As wonderful as it would be for Jesus to remain on earth physically, history will not It cannot go back to what it was before. There's a second thing for us to learn here. Do not hold on to me, Jesus says, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Now this word ascend is often translated as return. From our perspective, Jesus ascends from here to heaven. But from his eternal perspective... He had come from God. And now that his mission here was accomplished, he must return to the Father. This ascension, this return, has wonderful implications for the whole world. I want to pause here for a moment and focus on just one of those implications of the ascension. Three nights ago, on that Thursday night before he was crucified, Jesus said this to his disciples to prepare them for what was to come. It's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. You see, Jesus had to ascend 
so that he and the Father could send the Spirit to us. When Jesus was on this earth, God in the flesh, he was only present in one particular time and place. But 40 days after the resurrection, he returned, he ascended. One week later at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. And the Holy Spirit is now present in every man, every woman, and boy and girl who looks to the Lord Jesus in faith. What a wonderful gift the Holy Spirit is. Everything in the spiritual life has to do with the Spirit. Applying to us and animating us with the life of Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin, gives us new birth, guides us in truth, grows the fruit of Christ-likeness within us, empowers us with gifts, unites us as brothers and sisters, and prompts us, invites us to call on God as Father. But he could only come once Jesus had returned to his place in heaven. Let's praise God for the ascension, that return of Jesus. Praise Father, Son and Holy Spirit. This is the eternal, true and living God giving life to all who believe. But there's a third thing to notice. Do not hold on to me. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus had a message for Mary to share with with the disciples. Just go and tell them I'm ascending. Now this is code. Jesus to the disciples, for remember everything I said on Thursday night. Everything is going according to plan. The chain reaction of salvation is underway. Notice also that in this message we see that a profound new relationship has opened up with the true and living God by the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. There's a new relationship with Jesus. He says, go and speak to my brothers. No longer simply servants or followers or even friends of Jesus. Now brothers. There's a new relationship with the Father. Go and tell them I'm returning to my Father and your Father. Adopted into relationship with the eternal Father in heaven. And there's a new relationship with the Holy Spirit. Jesus would ascend and so the Spirit would come. In this short little message, we're introduced to this whole new relationship that's available with a true and living God. The Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus is alive and that changes everything. So what can we learn, thirdly, from Mary's witness? Notice who he chooses as his witness. The first witness of the resurrection was an incredibly inappropriate choice by the standards of that culture. A woman 
with a checkered past who is in the emotionalism of grief. Not a reliable witness to that culture. Yet this is what happened. And it did not happen by accident. God could have arranged for some men of stature and credibility to be the first witnesses that would have carried more weight in the culture. But he didn't. He chose Mary Magdalene to be the first one to see him and speak with him because he is emphasizing his amazing grace. He chooses the unlikely, the foolish, the lowly, the despised to confound the pride of man, it says in Corinthians. In Matthew, it says he hides things from the wise and learned and reveals them to little children. He always has and he always will choose the unlikely of the world to do his work. Our marketing experts would not have advocated for this strategy, but the all-knowing, all-powerful, true and living God loves to do things this way to showcase his amazing grace to the world. But notice also what she says as his witness. I have seen the, seen the Lord and this is what he said to me. She speaks of a personal experience of an encounter with Jesus and the privileged explanation she was given of eternal truths. Now she did her small part as a witness. But look at the ripple effect of that small step of obedience. During the next 40 days, the 11 consolidated their understanding of what was going on. They heard Mary's witness. They learned of the significance of these things. They witnessed Jesus return to heaven. They waited in Jerusalem for the promised Holy Spirit and then Pentecost happened and it was game on. As you read through Acts, you'll see a consistent message proclaimed again and again. Death, resurrection, ascension, the Holy Spirit and witnesses. In Acts 5, Peter says, We must obey God rather than man. God raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him. To his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring people to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And the word of God spread, and the word of God spread and increased, and the word of God spread and it grew in power. It's like a bass beat through the book of Acts. This story is now spread out from Jerusalem and Judea where it all began. Then cross-culturally to Samaria, then to Africa, to Europe, to Asia, even to the ends of the earth here in Tasmania. 2,000 years of humble, grateful people hearing, believing, obeying and passing it on. And it all began with Mary's humble obedience as a witness doing the part that was given to her 
of simply telling her story of encountering the risen Jesus and then sharing all that she learned from him. Jesus is alive and that changes everything. So this is Mary's story. And due to her faithful obedience and that of the eleven and many others since, this message has arrived here in Launceston this morning and you and I have heard it. So where are you at with it all? How does your story connect with Mary's story? And more importantly, with the story of Jesus? Let's spend these last few minutes thinking about how these things may impact our own lives here. You may be hearing this story for the first time today. A wonderful but almost unbelievable story about a man who was dead, who came back to life. If this story is true, it really does change everything. It puts Jesus into a category of his own. No other sane person in all of history has claimed to have been raised from the dead. And then when you consider the number of eyewitnesses who testified to the truth of it and were willing to die for their testimony and the number of changed lives in the last 2,000 years, all of it adds up. Jesus is alive and that changes everything. Mary's story began, it was the first day of the week. This is John's clue that a new significant thing is happening. Today is the first day of a new week. And perhaps for you, today will also be the first day of a whole new life. Encountering the risen Jesus and taking him seriously. And reconfiguring your whole life around relating to him as Saviour, as Lord, as God. Or perhaps you're a second type of person. You're a believer, but you are one who is crying and confused, overwhelmed by your situation in life, eyes downcast, heart heavy, mind anxious, body fatigued, struggling to simply keep your head above water. Realize you are not alone. The risen Jesus comes alongside you. And he is asking you some soul-probing questions. Why are you crying? What is it that you are looking for? These questions remind me of some of the, some of the Psalms. Why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. How often is our crying and confusion because we do not see that God is at work or we do not trust in what he has promised. Lift up your eyes and see. Jesus is alive and that changes everything. And he's calling you by name. Look to him. Cry out to him. Through grace, he is your teacher, your saviour, your brother, your Lord. What does your situation look like now from the perspective of the resurrection? Jesus is alive. The Father is on his throne. The Holy Spirit is with you. 
He is turning death to life and despair to hope. He can turn grief to joy. He is always up to something good. Always. Remember his words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust me. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Or perhaps you've absorbed all of these realities and you are ready to learn from Mary the witness. I have seen the Lord and this is what he said to me. She did her role humbly and obediently. What is your part to play in God's wonderful process of salvation? Connecting people with Jesus. You start where you are. In this time and place that he's put you. You pray, you love, you serve, you speak. You do it here. In your marriage, your family, your workplace, your school, your street, your futsal team, your bushwalking group. People need to meet a witness who knows the risen Jesus, whose life has been transformed, and one who is prepared to live that out loud. But as wonderful as it is that the message has reached here, take stock of this. There are still three billion people in this world, scattered throughout, who have no face-to-face contact with a witness of Jesus. Unless they come to us or we go to them, they will not hear of him. Three billion people. What can we do? What can you do? What is our part to play? Now we can take great encouragement already as a church in that we are doing something. We have sent Kate to South Asia. Quentin and Ashley and their precious kids have gone from amongst us to needy land in the Middle East. We are sending Peter and Anne to North Africa. We're supporting Thomas as he translates the precious word of God into a language of Central Asia. Yesterday we gathered at our monthly prayer breakfast to pray for these precious brothers and sisters of ours. We are standing, perhaps kneeling with them, trusting that people who otherwise would never hear of Jesus will have that opportunity to know him because of their work and because of our prayers. But can we do more? Are you willing to be a more active sender, to pray, to support, encourage, be aware to learn, to network, to advocate, to do whatever it takes to send humble witnesses to live amongst these three billion people? Or could you be one of the ones willing to go? You might feel others are better qualified or more gifted or whatever, but they may not be willing. Are you Are you willing to make yourself available to the Lord to see how he might use you 
to love and serve three billion people living in darkness and to tell them this wonderful, wonderful message. He was dead, but now he's alive, and that changes everything. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this beautiful, wonderful, unbelievable story that we receive as truth. A humble woman who saw you risen from the dead, who went to people that were near her, and she told them that message. Thank you for making it possible that that message has come all the way to us 2,000 years later on the other side of the world. We pray that you would help each one of us here to see the risen Lord Jesus, to encounter him, to hear him as he calls our name, and we pray that you would help us to respond in faith, to trust him, to live for him, and we pray that you would do whatever it takes in us and through us that we could be useful to you in sharing this message, particularly where it has not been heard before. We pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.